Good morning. My name is Kevin Russell. I'm the Groups and Discipleship Pastor, and I am excited to be here with you all today. Hey, can we pray before we get started? Let's pray. Pray with me. Father, thanks so much uh, for today. I'm so thankful that we have a church family that we can gather together, and we can worship you, and we can open up your word and hear from you. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us today. God, I pray that we would hear your voice, and I pray you would encourage our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would remove any distractive thoughts, and, and, uh, and Lord, that you would just give us clear minds and clear hearts. Lord, I trust that everybody here is here for a reason, and God, you, you have a purpose for today, and that you want to accomplish something in us and through us. Would you do that, Jesus, for your name and for your glory? That's what we pray. Amen. So today we're continuing our series uh, called Life Apps, and um, if I've got a fitness app on my phone, but uh, I don't do anything that it tells me to do, I'm not going to experience much physical transformation, am I? Well, the same is true of the Bible. If we don't just, we, don't, we need to just uh, not just listen to the Word and not just hear good sermons, we've got to do it. We've got to put it into practice. Application is everything. If we're going to see life transformation, we must apply the Bible to our lives. And for the last few weeks, we've looked at topics like uh, confession, uh, generosity, forgiveness, and today we're going to look at the topic of trust. Well, a few weeks ago, I read an article in the Indy Star magazine, and it was about these uh, decals, these family decals we put on the backs of cars. You all have seen some of these. Uh, some of you all probably have them. Let's see if we got a picture of them. So here you go. So here are these decals we put on the backs of our cars. I found a few of these I thought that you might enjoy um, next one. Here's one. You know, these decals say something about you or your family. I think this one says that this, this marriage is a healthy marriage. I mean, you know, I think that's safe to say, you know, or at least maybe they don't believe in birth control. I'm not sure what that is. Next one. Here's a husband and wife. They don't have kids. They just have money next to them. I think this couple's probably just tired of answering the question, hey, why aren't you all having kids? Here it is right here. This is the reason why. Next one. <laughs> this, is, this is my favorite. <laughs> This is genius. I think this, I think this guy's a genius. Uh, single ladies, if you see this guy driving down the road and you like what you see in the car, he just wants you to know he's taking applications. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Next one. This lady here, she just wants you to know she's lost her mind. Okay? Now, if there's any cat ladies in the room, I may have offended you. I'm sorry. I hate cats. All right? Last one. Here we go. This, uh, I think this basically, <laughs> this sums up how most of us feel when we pull up in a stoplight behind when we see one of those decals. We're like, nobody cares who's in your family, okay? Well, apparently, the safety and uh, police organizations, they do care because in this article, what they said was they're warning people to not put these stickers on their car. And if you have them on your car, to take them off because uh, those stickers reveal information, private information about you, and it gives what maybe would be criminals uh, more opportunities to take advantage of you and your family. So, if you've got stickers on your car, our parking team is happy to help you take those off today uh, before you leave. But I, I first read that and I thought, are you serious? Like, seriously, like, what is happening to our culture? that we're getting to the place where you can't even put stickers on your car because we're afraid of what might happen. Our culture is filled with fear. 
And we live in this fear-filled world, and it's ruining our ability to trust, to trust anybody. And that's a problem because trust is essential and foundation to any relationship. And it's especially true of your relationship with God. Over and over and over again, throughout the Bible, God says, trust me, trust me. Jesus himself said in John 14, trust in God, trust also in me. But let's be honest, trusting God is a lot easier said than done, right? I mean, life brings us unexpected obstacles, or life brings us some difficult circumstances when plans fail, when relationships end, when dreams are shattered, it becomes very difficult to trust God. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're facing some health issues and you're afraid of what the future holds. Your marriage is struggling and you don't know what to do or where to turn. You've heard us talk about confession the last a few weeks ago and you're ready to confess and you've been wanting to confess, but you haven't yet and you haven't because you're afraid of the consequences and what might happen. You heard us talk about generosity, and you want to give God money. You want to give God your resources. You want to honor him with the things that he's blessed you with, but you're afraid. You're not sure how your finances will work out. You're still single, and you're wondering, is it ever going to come? Am I ever going to meet anybody? Is it always going to be like this? Maybe you're sitting here today, and um, you're like a friend of mine who just lost a loved one, just lost a brother. And you're asking yourself, what, what could life look like without this person in my life? What's life going to look like? I'm, I'm not sure. You want to trust. We want to trust God with our lives, but it's difficult. My hope and prayer for you today is this. My hope and prayer is that you will trust God in spite of your fears. That's my hope. Trust God in spite of your fears. We're going to look at a story in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Numbers chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you use an app on your smartphone, turn to Numbers chapter 13, verse 27, 1327. This is a story of the Israelites in a time when the Israelites really struggled to trust God. And we're going to look at some lessons that we can learn from them. And we're also going to look at a guy named Caleb who was in the midst of this story, and he did trust God. And so what I'm going to do is over the next few minutes, I'm going to walk us through the story, and then we're going to go back a second time, and we're going to identify some key lessons that we can learn. So the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, right? And God comes and appears to Moses at the burning bush, and he says, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. I'm going to send you to rescue my people out of slavery. And so he comes to Moses, and he says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, this is God speaking. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, all the ites. God says, listen, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to bring them out of slavery. I'm going to lead them into a good land. I've got good plans for my people. And sure enough, that's what God does. God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery, and they get out of Egypt, and they get to, the, uh, to Mount Sinai. And they're out in the desert in Mount Sinai, and that's where God gives them the Ten Commandments. And not only does that, but he basically says to them, here's the deal. I am now your God. 
not the Egyptians God, Egyptian gods. I am your God. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to shepherd you. I'm going to provide a good home, a good land, a home of your own, a land flowing with milk and honey. I've got good plans for you. So they set out, and they make their way towards the promised land. But just before they get to the promised land, the leaders of the Israelite community decide that they're going to stop. And they're going to send a team of 12 people, 12 spies, into the land to investigate it. Think about kind of a team of Navy SEALs. And they pick their best guys, and they're going to go in and secretly find out what's in the land. Who is in the land? Is the land a good land? Is it safe? Is it a place where we can go and live? And so the guys slip in there, and for 40 days, they secretly investigate the land. And they come back, and they're going to report to Moses and to the whole Israelite community what they found in the land. Let's pick up the story here in Numbers 13, verse 27. It says, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. What did they find? They found the land was good and that it was, it was flowing with milk and honey. Here's what that meant. That means that there were animals in the land, and there was water there, and there were trees there, and there's rich vegetation, and there's going to be plenty of food for them to eat and natural resources for them to live off of. This is going to be a good land. In fact, two guys brought back a cluster of grapes so big that it took two of them to carry it. This is a good land. But there's a problem in the land. Let's look at the next verse, verse 28. The Israelites said, But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The land is amazing, but there's some powerful people in the land that live there. That phrase, descendants of Anak, just means they're strong and powerful. Imagine this. Picture this. Picture uh, myself and Ben Krause and Josh Rogers and uh, maybe Paul Mumon, Steve Wallen. Picture the five of us going and playing a five-on-five basketball game against the Indiana Pacers, right? That's not going to go well. I mean, I got some game. I got a little game. You know, I'm a baller. I'm a shot caller. But Paul, Paul, Paul got a little bit of game. Josh Rogers, I'm not sure he has game. Ben, I'm not even sure no Ben knows what basketball is. So, you know, we don't stand a chance against a team like the Indiana Pacers. This is what they're feeling, right? They go into the land and they're thinking, these people are huge. These people are ginormous. And the cities have these big walls, and they are well protected. Taking possession of this land that God has promised for them is not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be a walk in the park. There's going to be some obstacles. You know, it would seem that if God was a good God, and if God had good plans for them, it would seem like there shouldn't be any obstacles in the land, Right? I mean, it would seem like the wise thing to do for God, if we were, if we were planning this story out in our, own, in our own minds, we'd say, well, why don't you just clear all the obstacles? Why wouldn't you just protect the land so there's nobody in it? And they, you just kind of save it for them. And as Christians, I think we kind of feel like that sometimes. Or about you, I feel like that sometimes. I feel like sometimes Christians, those who love God and trying to live for God, that we should have, we should have a little bit easier life than other people. I, I feel like that sometimes. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And while God has good plans for you and for me, we live in a broken and fallen world. And we are sinful people, and we live with other sinful people. 
And we're going to face some challenges and some obstacles. There's going to be some disappointments. There's going to be strained relationships. There's going to be parenting failures. There's going to be issues at work and financial pressure. We're going to have physical problems and emotional problems. The Bible says in Romans 8.22 that all of creation is painfully groaning, waiting for Jesus to return, waiting for Jesus to come back and restore all things and make all things new. So we're going to face some obstacles until then. Well, the Israelites, they face these obstacles, and they come to the conclusion that these obstacles can't be overcome. And they begin to get fearful. Their trust in God begins to fail. But there's one guy who speaks up. His name is Caleb. Caleb was on the scout team. He was part of one of the 12 that went into the land. He witnessed everything the other guys witnessed. But look at Caleb's response, how it's different. It's in Numbers 1330. It says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He's going to speak up. Hey, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb says, don't be afraid. We can do this. He trusted that God would give them the land just as he had promised. But unfortunately, if you know the story, as it unfolds, his lone voice of hope and trust in God begins to fade. And the naysayers went out, went out, and they don't move forward. They don't take possession of the land. They actually turn back, and they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they will eventually take the land, but it's not until 40 years later when that generation completely dies off, except for Caleb and Joshua, except for Caleb. And 40 years later, when a new generation grows up, Caleb will lead that generation into the land. Well, I think there are some mistakes that they made, and I think we can learn from their mistakes, and we can learn from Caleb on some lessons on how we can trust God in spite of our fears and in spite of the obstacles we face. So if you're taking notes, point number one, lesson number one, trust God is for you. Trust God is for you. You know, it didn't take long for the Israelites to be overcome with fear, did it? Somehow they had forgotten all that God had done for them and all the promises God made to them. Somehow they feared all of a sudden that God was against them. In fact, they start blaming and accusing God of trying to kill them. At one point, Caleb and the others are arguing about what to do before they make a decision, and the Israelites cry out and they say, God is trying to destroy us. They say, God hates us. He brought us out here just to kill us. Really? This is the same group of people who watched God bring 10 plagues on the Egyptians just to rescue them out of slavery. This is the same group of people whose backs were against the wall up against the Red Sea, and they watched as God parted the Red Sea so they could pass on dry ground. This is the same people who would be led by God to safety with a cloud by day and a fire by night. This is the same people who had no food in the desert and God miraculously provided for them. Yet they forgot all that. Isn't it, isn't it easy to forget all of the things God has done in our life? Why is it when as soon as we get bad news, as soon as we get the phone call or the email or the text message, or as soon as we get the report back from the doctor, isn't it easy for us to quickly begin to question whether or not God is for us. We quickly begin to doubt that he's for us, and we forget all the things that God has done for us. 
We question whether or not he loves us, or worse than that, we question that somehow the obstacles or the challenges that we're facing, he's trying to punish us. Now, God uses sometimes difficult circumstances in our life to discipline us, but the Bible says God disciplines those he loves, that God is for us. He's not against us. And the Israelites feared that God would just lead them out there to die. But Caleb, Caleb had a different attitude and a different perspective. He trusted God was for them. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Caleb says, Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them, Caleb says. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. I want to draw your attention to one phrase in that verse. He says, the Lord is with us. The message translation, message Bible, translates this phrase, God is on our side. And some of you this morning need to be reminded that God's on your side, that God created you, that he loves you, that he demonstrated his love for you by dying on the cross, that he initiated the relationship with you, that he pursued you, that he wants to see your marriage get better. He wants to help you be free from that depression. He's for your relationships being restored. He wants to provide for you. He wants to comfort you in the midst of your pain. God is for you, not against you. I don't know if you're like me. I struggle with this. I can't tell you how many days I wake up on a Monday morning or just any morning of the week. I wake up and I quickly get discouraged and I'm quickly filled with fear as I look at my day and I look at my calendar. I look at some of the obstacles that are going on in my life in that season of life. Sometimes it's just my plate is so full. I just feel overwhelmed. And one of the things God's taught me to do is this. God's taught me to prayerfully go back through my life and point to and give thanks and praise to him for all the ways he has blessed my life. And I will do this. I'll sit down and I'll break out my journal and I'll start writing in my journal and praying. And I'll start all the way back when God saved me, when God sent people into my life to share the gospel with me, when I came to put my faith and trust in Christ. I'll give him thanks and praise for that. I'll look back on my life and I'll see all the lessons God has taught me and I'll just recount those in my mind and I'll give thanks and praise for that. I'll think about all the ways God has slowly slowly transformed my heart and my character. I'll think about all the prayers he has answered of mine, the ways he has provided for my wife and I and our family. I'll think about all the people he's brought in my life to, to invest in me and to encourage me and support me. And it never fails. When I spend a few minutes walking through all the ways and remembering what God has done for me, all of a sudden, my heart begins to get much more peaceful, much more content. And the obstacles in front of me, the feelings of uh, being, feeling overwhelmed, begin to diminish. And I don't, I'm not as afraid. So I want to encourage you. The next time you start to feel like God's not for you, you begin to question whether or not uh, God is on your side. Stop and pray and think about all the different ways that God has worked in your life. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Second lesson I think we can learn is this. Trust God's strength. Trust God's strength. The Israelites were focused on their weaknesses, not on the strength and power of God. Caleb says, hey, we can do this. God is for us. But listen how the Israelites, the naysayers, responded to Caleb's word of encouragement that we could do this. They said, 
But the men who had gone up with them said this, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. A few verses later, these same guys, they call themselves grasshoppers. They say, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. The Israelites, they felt weak. They felt helpless. They felt overwhelmed. Don't we all feel like that sometimes? You got some new responsibilities at work. You're in over your head, and you don't know what to do. You got a teenager who's struggling, and you've been trying everything, but nothing Nothing seems to be helping. Maybe you've, been, maybe you've been trying to get pregnant now for several months or maybe even a couple of years, and you're doing everything the doctors tell you to do and everything your friends are telling you to do, and it's not happening, and you're starting to, starting to want to give up. What is it about life when challenges come our way? Don't you find that it shows how truly vulnerable we are? It shows how truly desperate on God we are. And that's the point. Caleb knew it wasn't about his strength. It was about God's strength. Let's look at the next verse. Uh, it says in Numbers 14, verse 8, Caleb says this. Caleb says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land of flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Where's Caleb's emphasis at? Caleb's emphasis is God. God will, God will lead us. God will give it to us. So often we try to do for ourselves what only God can do for us. You know, the Hebrew word for trust that's most often used throughout the Old Testament is this word. It's pronounced batak. It means to lean on or to be secure. What's it look like when we go to lean on somebody? We go to lean on somebody for support. The same thing it does for God. We go to lean on somebody, we're looking for words of encouragement and comfort, aren't we? We want to lean on somebody, we look for reassurance. We want somebody who will listen and not judge or criticize us in the midst of our circumstances. So let me give you four quick tips on how to apply leaning on God in your life. Number one, acknowledge your dependence on Him. The truth is we're all desperately dependent on God. And we need his help. It's easy to take matters into our own hands when we get into difficult situations to think, oh, I can handle this. I've got this under control. Secondly, pray and ask God for help. The Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. So often we just fail to forget to ask God. Ask God for help. Ask God for strength. Ask God to give you the grace to get through your circumstances and to continue to trust him. Thirdly, spend time in God's word. Listen, the Bible is living and active. The reason we're doing this Life Apps series is because we believe life is found in the Scriptures. And so if you're not in the Bible, you're not going to hear God's voice. And can I tell you something? Nothing will give you strength and spur you on through difficult seasons of life like hearing the voice of God. But you can't hear God's voice if you're not in the Scriptures. That's His primary way He speaks to us. So open up the Bible and read it and pray. Study it. There's tons of resources out there to learn how to get in and dive into the Bible and do study. Spend time in His Word. Lastly, spend time with His people. And we tend to isolate ourselves when it comes to difficult circumstances and challenges, but we need the help of others. Turn to a brother and sister in Christ. Tell them you're struggling. Swallow your pride, humble yourself, and ask for help. 
Ask for some support. Ask for prayers. God has designed his body, he has designed his world to work. It's a relational world. We're designed to, to support one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to spur one another on. So try, stop trying to do for yourself what only God can do for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, 12, 9, 12, 9 says this, My grace is sufficient for you, God says. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Third lesson. Trust God's ways. Trust God's ways. The Israelites couldn't understand why God would put them in this position. Why would God lead them into this situation, into these circumstances? Look what they said here in Numbers 14, verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword, they thought? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better off for us to go back to Egypt? They wanted to turn and go back to Egypt. Listen, there's a couple questions in there that should sound familiar to us. Why is God doing this? Doesn't God have a better plan than this? We ask those questions a lot, don't we, when we face difficult situations. Listen, God's plans don't often make sense. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Trusting God doesn't always make sense, and it's not always easy. But that's what God calls us to do. I mean, it's easy to trust God when, when things are rolling along nice and smoothly. It's a lot more difficult when there's a bump in the road, when the future is unknown and we can't, we can't in our own minds or in our own understanding uh, discern what God is doing or how he is working, what his will is. We become filled with fear begin to get discouraged and lose hope. Romans 8, 28 says this, For God works all things together for our good and for his glory. God wants to use the obstacles and the difficult circumstances in your life to transform you. He's trying to teach you to trust him. He wants to transform you into the image of Christ. He wants to bring glory to himself through the work he's doing in you. You ever thought about this? Jesus had to trust his father. Last night, before he is arrested, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying. And what's he pray? He says, Lord, is there any other way? There's got to be a better plan than this. And the Father says to him what he often says to us. Nope. This is the way. This is the plan. And Jesus responds, not my will. Your will be done. Jesus says, I will trust in your ways, Father. And he ends up going to the cross on our behalf because ultimately he knew God's plans were best. Let's look at one more verse. God, Jesus trusted God, with, uh, trusted God the Father with his whole heart, and Caleb did too. Look at Numbers, uh, verse 14, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. Here's what God says. God says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. God is talking about 40 years 
later. He says, I'm going to promise, and here's why. What's the difference? What set Caleb apart from all the others? Caleb followed wholeheartedly. His whole heart was trusting in the Lord. And that's really the question for us today. Will you trust God with all of your heart? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, in every area of your life, with your finances, with your marriage, with your kids, with your career, with your health, with your future, in all of your ways, in every area of your life, submit to him, acknowledge him, trust him, and he will make your paths straight. What's interesting is about that phrase, make your path straight. You know what that means? To remove the obstacles. Now listen, I don't know if God is going to literally remove the obstacles in your life, but here's one thing I do know. I do know that he's going to be with you through it all. Forty years later, Caleb, the old generation has died off, and Caleb and the new generation of Israelites are back at that entrance to the promised land. They're back there, about ready to enter into the land that God promised them 40 years later that they've been waiting to enter. And I want, to, I want you to hear what God reminds them of. He says this in Joshua chapter 1. I'm giving you this land as I promised Moses 40 years ago. And as, I, and as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous, he says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Listen, God never promises life will be pain-free. And God never promises us that we'll understand all of his ways what he does promise is that he'll be with you. A few nights ago, uh, about 10 o'clock at night, my wife and I heard our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Selah, wake up and start crying. It's not like her, and so we went up to check on her, and she was burning up. She had a high fever, and so we ended up uh, taking her fever and bringing her downstairs. She had a fever of 103. Talk about, like, immediately starting to question and being filled with fear as a dad. My wife, my wife says I'm a hypochondriac anyways. Like, you know, the first sign of sneeze, I think, oh, gosh, I need to go to the doctor and have my full-body scan kind of thing. And um, so I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, 103. I'm like, should we, go to the, should we go to the hospital? Should we take her to the doctor? My wife, my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said, no, let's just give her some Tylenol. And let's wait and see. And so that's what we did. We gave her some Tylenol. We put her in our bed with us. And she was laying down. I had a cold washcloth that was putting on her back to try to cool her off and on her neck. And as we were laying there, uh, I heard this familiar noise that some of you have, have heard before. I heard this, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So what did I do? I jumped out of that bed and I got on the side of the bed and I reached down to grab her and I get her about three or four inches off the bed and, bef and before I realized it, whoom. She starts vomiting right there on her bed. And I'm like, what do I do? Do I, do I at this point, do I try to take her into the bathroom and like her, she sprays the whole house? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what do I do? What do I do? So I made the decision. And I'm not sure my wife agreed with it, but I just left her right there. I just held her and she, she just like, just didn't stop. And I'm watching her just vomit all over our bed. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. And then finally she takes a break. And so I take this poor girl into the bathroom and she's two and a half. And I stand her in front of the toilet and she's crying and she starts getting sick again in the toilet. And I had this tender moment with her. 
pulled her hair out of her face. She's crying. She's throwing up. I couldn't make her feel better. I couldn't take away her sickness. But I could hold her. I could tell her, I'm, I'm with you, honey. Daddy's right here. As I prayed this week, I really believe some of you this morning need to hear your Heavenly Father's heart. You need to hear Him say to you, I know what you're going through. I'm not going to take the obstacle away, but I'm with you. I'm not going to leave your side. He's saying to you, trust me. Trust my strength. Trust my ways. Trust me with all of your heart. As the band comes out and as we finish up, others of you are sitting here this morning and you've never trusted You've never trusted God for the forgiveness of sins. You've never given your life to the Lord. You've wanted to. You've thought about it. You've been coming for several weeks or months, and you've thought about giving your life to the Lord. But to be honest, if you were, if you were honest, you'd say, I'm a little afraid. I'm afraid of what God will do, for my, do to my life. Will he make me move to Africa? That's what we always think. What will my friends think? What will my family say if I become a Christian? God's saying to you, trust me. Give me your life and trust me. We're going to end with a song. It's called Trust You. I want to encourage you to make this your prayer. And over the next few minutes, as we sing this song, I want you to just declare to the Lord that you trust him, that you trust, uh, you trust he's for you. You trust his strength and not your own. You trust his ways are higher than your ways. You trust him. Just tell him over the next few minutes during this song, Lord, I trust you with all of my heart. Let's pray. Father, I know that you have good plans for us. I know you love us and you deeply care about us. And I know that some of the people in this room this morning, Lord, that they're going through some struggles. And they're facing some obstacles and their hearts are being filled with fear. But I know, Lord, that you want them to hear your voice say, trust me. Trust that I'm for you. Trust that I'm strong, strong enough. Trust my ways are higher than your ways. Lord, I pray in the next few minutes, God, that we would just be a people who would declare our faith and trust in you. God, you are trustworthy. You alone are worthy of our trust, our hope. Our hope is firmly anchored in you, God. We trust you with our lives. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.